The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Are you trying to master the game of life without success? There are secrets and strategies to living your best life. We'll share some of them with you on today's show. Take advantage of this series to become an expert at relationships. All relationships. It's time to live the life that you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Sandra Reich. Welcome to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Today, a part two to a wonderful part one last week with the wonderful Tracy Deer. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Tracy Deer. I think it's important you know who's interviewing me on today's show. We started last week because we talked about the fact that Tracy's been on the show herself um, as someone who's gone through a lot of stuff in her own life and overcome incredible things. And she's also a very famous person, actually, mm-hmm. in her own right. Um, so, Tracy, uh, maybe I'll start, but maybe you can fill in the blanks. So, you're a filmmaker, you're a producer, you're a director. Um, you've got a sh- really, really famous show on TV right now called Mohawk Girls. Um, I think it's been a dream come true for you, that project. Do you want to say a few words? Yes. Well, I welcome want, back I, to Straight Talk. By thank the way. you. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I like to share with people is, you know, I'm living my dream. I was 12 years old when I decided I wanted to be a filmmaker, and here I am now telling stories that, um, you know, come right from the heart. I'm really passionate about it, and every day is a joy. You know, it's it's not work. It's not work. It's it's fun. So that's that's who I am. Now, she's so nice and so modest, but, you know, here in Canada, we have an award called the Gemini Awards, which are equivalent to the Emmys. I think you tell me, right? The Emmys? No, that is, that is correct, except we no longer have the Geminis. We now have the Canadian Screen Awards. Oh, Canadian Screen Awards. You see, what a poor Canadian I am. I don't even know. And my Tracy here, who's interviewing me today, happens to be a two-time winner of the Canadian Guild Awards. Screen Awards. Oh, dear. But that's okay. <laughs> Yes. Okay, I think I'll stick to my day job. Um, <laughs> Tracy, where can people find you? If, they, you know, if they've listened to the interview and they want to know more about these shows, where do people find you? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook. Uh, you could look up me, Tracy Deer, T-R-A-C-E-Y-D-E-E-R. Uh, but, you know, if you want to look, if you want to learn about the show, I would go to mohawkgirls.com. Yes. Now, in our dialogue, you know, Tracy and I have had a very um, special relationship. She's come on the show and been very open about her process as a client. And she's been kind enough to write me into her TV show. So there's aspects of Sandra in there. And next season, we were talking on the last episode about the fact that there's going to be a therapist modeled after me. I'm so excited. That's right. And honestly, I mean, all the things that you've taught me over these last five years all of those lessons are sprinkled throughout the show and the plot lines of the, of the four main characters. 
Well, so if you want to learn a little even more about how to evolve your life, so you can listen to Straight Talk, but you can also go watch Mohawk Girls and see what Tracy learned and how she applied it to her life and changed her life. The first time I met Tracy, I told her she's going to have to write a book on caretaking because that was the issue, and she produced a wonderful series instead, and I'm so happy about that and so honored that today you um, came to me and told me you'd like to interview me on the show so that some of my as you call it, pearls of wisdom, so it's very kind of you, it's almost hard to take in, uh, would be out there. So thank you, Tracy, and I'm handing it over to you. I'm in the hot seat in, at your mercy. Okay. So where we left off uh, last week, in the, in the first part, we were talking about gratitude and abundance. Mm-hmm. I'd like to just finish with that topic. Okay. Um, and specifically, you know, the power of our thoughts. The power of our thoughts shape our life. This is something you've taught me. And I remember... Way back when, I had some very negative thoughts about men, for instance. Mm. And I remember you you challenged me and said, well, Tracy, as long as you think all men are liars, all men are cheaters, guess what? You're only going to meet liars and cheaters. So you told me you need to believe that there are good men out there. And guess what? You're going to meet good men. And I thought that was crazy. <laughs> but I, I, I was. So you a, paid your money. I was a devout pupil of yours, <laughs> and I said, "Okay, I'll do that." And I did. I started talking to myself and telling myself in the beginning these messages that I thought. And the back of my mind was like, "Okay, but they they really are cheaters, and they are really they are they are liars." But eventually, I did. I did. I Change started changing my thoughts and really did start saying no. There are those ones, but there are good ones too. And lo and behold, you know, I ended up meeting one of those good guys. And someone's about to get married, I think. Yes, I'm about to get married to one of those good guys. Yeah. So, you know, that was just phenomenal uh, for me to, to first hear the lesson and apply it. And it turned out to be true because this person is so far from a liar or a cheater as far as you could get. Yeah, so I did not I know him. He certainly is not a liar or a cheater. I did not. I did not believe that these types of men existed. existed. Yeah. So, so the power of our thoughts. Let's talk about that. Well, you did a great intro. So, what you what you lived is that we create our reality. So, if I believe the world is a suspicious place, um, our egos like to be right. So, if the world is, if I believe the world is a suspicious place, I have to create proof that I'm right. Now, this is all unconscious. So our thoughts will create everything that happens to us, much like when we talked about the victim on the last episode. So if I believe unconsciously that people are going to hurt me, well, I need to be right. So I'll prove it. So the brain is very powerful. I often talk in my lectures about the hysterical pregnancy. Some people know about it and some people don't. But there's a condition that women get that's called a hysterical pregnancy, which they want to be pregnant so badly that they develop, their bellies get big, and their breasts start lactating. Isn't that, I know Tracy's freaking out right now. Isn't that amazing? She's like in shock. It's a, it's a radio show. Tell them how shocked you are. Yeah, I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm that shocked. My face is frozen in shock right now. Yes, because that's how powerful our brains are. If your brain really believes something, it will create it. So yes, the hysterical pregnancy is a real phenomena. And so, and those women are not carrying a baby, but the body believes that they are. So I think that tells us that what we tap, she's about to fall off the chair, obviously. <laughs> I really am. What we believe is what we're going to create. So if I tell my brain I'm in Hawaii right now and I'm lying on a beach and I conjure up images of a beach and sand, my brain believes that too and my body starts to relax. 
So everything I'm feeding my brain is creating my reality, and it's it's affecting every organ in my body at every time. So I can tell a story, and this does you 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 drew a nice picture of gratitude and abundance because I can draw a story that says I'm a victim. There's not enough in the world. People are always going to do bad things to me, and my brain is going to say, uh, "Okay, she set the stage. Let's bring her the actors." and I made my movie. You know, I'm talking to a movie director. To me, it is a movie. It's all a movie. I say often, change the movie in your mind. Instead, I know I've lived on both sides where I, the movie got changed to things are possible. There's, you know, like you did with the men is that there's good men and there's bad men. We're not going to say that all men are good. And we're not going to say that the world is not a, a perfectly safe place because that would be Pollyanna. But there is something to like, I'll be careful when I walk in the street and I'll be careful when I date men. And, but I trust me. And that's part of it. You trust yourself. And if you trust yourself, you're going to be okay. Because if your man is a liar and cheater, you'll know what to do. And if there's an unsafe environment, you'll know to get out. So your brain is running the show and you're running your brain. So your thoughts will determine every aspect of your life. So what story do you choose to tell yourself? Right now, what story do you choose to tell yourself? And if the story is a good story, you're having a good life or you're getting there. And if the story is a bad story, and if you're listening right now and there's a bad story you're telling, it's always been so hard for me. It's been a very difficult life. This is, this is rough. I work too much. I can't get ahead. Then every time you're saying that to you, your brain is absorbing that. and like the hysterical pregnancy creating that. Wow. That, that's, this is the thing that has always blown my mind, that people who, when we feel like we're in a rough place or we're really miserable or it's really hard, that just shifting our thoughts and shifting our perspective on what's going on can actually help get us out of it. Yeah. That amazing. is empowering. It is because it gives you control. It's incredibly good news. Is you all, it's like Dorothy at the end of The Wizard of Oz. You know that movie, The Wizard of Oz? You yes, must know that. of course. And the good witch says to Dorothy, you had the power all along. You click your heels, you had the power all along. We have the power all along. Isn't that great news? It is great news. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. It's a good one. Now, I, wanted, I want to go into fear for a second as it relates to this about the power of our thoughts. And, you know, fear stems from sort of, I guess, a natural. Oh, very natural. Very natural. But when we're making choices based on fear, you know, what, what happens? Well, fear-based decisions are not good decisions to make because um, you're not really living true to what you want. So it can't, it's almost a setup for disaster because um, you're feeding the part of the brain that you don't want to feed. Do you want to grow the fear or do you want to like move through the fear? That's the first question you have to ask. If you want to grow the fear, then make a fear-based decision. If you want to move through the fear, then you're going to ask yourself, what do you truly want? Feel the fear. And like the famous book says, do it anyways. I mean, you're supposed to feel afraid when you do new things. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's okay to be afraid and still move forward. It's a very important aspect of it. So I think that, you know, we're going to have to take a short break in a moment. But um, I think it's important to understand that a fear-based decision, as one of my colleagues says, and it's a really brilliant statement, that is a fear-based decision, even if it's, even if it's a good decision, if it was made from fear, is the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. I know that's heavy, but actually 
It's feeding the limbic system of your brain, which is the fear center. And it's telling you, again, that the world is unsafe and I have to be always on top of things and I always have to be controlling things. And an an abundant and empowered and gratitude and non-victim decision is I'm going to take a step and I'm going to risk something. And I trust that I can survive if it doesn't work out, that I'll be afraid. And it might even go bad, but that's okay. That's the process, right? And life is the process, not the goal. I hate to be cliched, but it's true, okay? So fear-based decisions are, they're they're very decided. You've decided, do you know what I mean? You've decided. The decision was based on the fact that you're afraid, so you've already decided how how bad this could turn out. Mm -hmm. So you've already, your plot line again is set, misdirector. So when evaluating choices, you know, looking at the worst case and then deciding, oh, I want to avoid that. Let me instead go for this more safer choice. That's not always the best way to, or that is not the best way to operate. Is that correct? I think it is correct. I think that you have to also evaluate what you can handle. I think you have to thyself be true is a big statement for me. I think that if I really can't handle moving through, uh, a few, I, I, like again, you have to evaluate where you are, but to make a decision solely based on it being the safe, safer decision probably isn't the best way to go unless you arrive at the fact that this is what you can handle this time, that you're moving towards overcoming fear, but you can't do it right now. So you're going in increments. But fear-based decisions tend to work on something called scarcity. They work on the belief system that there's not enough in the world. There's not enough for everybody, and you can't have enough. So what do you think that produces? Not enough. That's correct. You're going to end up with very little. So you want to move towards abundancy and trust the process that it may not work right away, but keep at it and it's okay. We're talking very esoterically and very vaguely, but you know, when we come back from the break and for people listening, you can think about a specific example of something you want to do. I will be happy to share an example that I had in my life where I, this abundance and scarcity thing came up. So we'll take a short break. We'll be right back with Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join the therapist who is affectionately known as the couple whisperer, Sandra Reich, on her famous couple retreats and change your life forever. Sandra offers couple retreats in beautiful locations several times a year that can radically change your love life. Couples describe her retreats as life-changing. Regain that loving feeling. Bring your intimacy to a new level and rediscover excitement and joy. Find out more at HelpForAnxietyDepression.com or call 514-796-4357. We all want love and safety. Now you can have it. Call 514-796-4357 or HelpForAnxietyDepression.com. Spa Munari is a full-service wellness day spa located at the heart of West Island, Quebec. Submerge yourself in beauty with one of our many treatments, specially catered to your needs. 
We offer facials, manicures, pedicures, hair removal, massages, body treatments, and so much more. Enjoy our ultimate relaxation experience with our spa packages. We offer a men's menu as well. Call us today to book your next appointment at 514-695-5040 or visit us on the web at spamunari.com. That's 514-695-5040 or spamunari.com. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. To connect with the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at helpforanxietydepression.com. Now, back to Straight Talk. Here's Sandra Reich. We are back on Straight Talk with Sandra Reich, a fascinating dialogue with the lovely, intelligent, inspirational Tracy Deer, who wanted to interview me on some things she feels could help people. Um, how do you think it's going, Tracy? This, what do you, how do you feel about interviewing your therapist? I like it. You like it. So. I like having you in the hot seat oh, yeah? for a change. It's quite warm in here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm ready to go back. Wherever you want to go, Tracy. Well, you had asked oh, yes, a very interesting question, and you were going to share your own example. Well, I think that when I opened the clinic, um, you know, the idea of abundance and scarcity and fear-based. I mean, first of all, when I wanted to open the clinic, I kept forgetting every day to call for a space. I really honestly kept forgetting. I'd go to work every day, and i say, I want to open a clinic and find a space. And I, I really sincerely, and this comes back to your victim, victim question of last week, is that I really, really believed that I was forgetting. But you see, I did call myself that, and that's the skill. After about the fifth day, I went, Sandra, you can't be forgetting. And the voice in my head said, yes, I am forgetting. And I was like, okay, you don't forget to get up in the morning. You're playing a game. But it was an unconscious game. So I said, well, if you're just forgetting, then call right now. So I did call. But again, now let's talk about fear-based. So I have very successful private practice, and per hour, I'm paid quite well. Why go open a clinic? I mean, come on, so much risk. You know, the building that I was going into, where I am, it's an expensive building. I, uh, my clinic was with four offices, and it was quite expensive, and I did not have the clientele to fill those four offices. So the safe decision was to stay in private practice. Why, why take that risk? So, but the abundant decision was, uh, I'll build it, um, and hopefully they will come, like the movie says. Again, a movie analogy. Um, Hopefully they will come. And what's the worst that will happen? I'll close it and go back into private practice. So the safe decision was to stay in private practice. But the abundant one, which made me very nervous and afraid, what if, what if I can't pay my rent, was to take the risk but trust myself that if it doesn't work out, I'll know what to do. So that's sort of to give people concrete. Okay, I, I want to just push a little into your, your example there for a second. If you were very successful and everything was great with your yeah. private practice, um, why? Well, I had a vision. I had a vision that I wanted to teach other therapists the system I was using and to have other therapists help more people. And uh, so that was the vision and the value part of it. And then from um, a business 
person's point of view. Um, every time I see a client, I have to be there. So I also thought from a business point of view, it would be a smart thing to do to have therapists also seeing clients and that would bring revenue as well. I mean, it's, you know, one always has to consider that it's not only um, being considerate of the, the hopes of people, but also there was um, a business aspect. And I thought that would be nice, but it was scary. Mm-hmm. It was a very scary concept because it could fail and I was quite successful. Why risk failure when you're successful? But again, I would say, why not? Why not? The end of the show says, keep your eyes on the stars for the re- for a reason. Why not? Well, and can I ask you, how is it going? It's going phenomenal. It's really going very well. As a matter of fact, our offices are not big enough anymore. I know. Have to, have to take the next risk. You have, a, you have a much bigger team than you started out with. We started four, and uh, four people, the dream team. And now we are 12. Wow. And expanding. And um, I every time I put the key in the door, I am grateful, and I, I can't believe it. I can't believe what's going on here. And that's been true of the radio show. That's been true of the other three companies that have opened subsequently since opening the clinic. So one led to another, led to another, and they were all scary. And I'm still scared a lot of the time. I want people to know that. But it really is feel the fear and do it anyways. I mean, yeah. and some, some things have been failures. This one was a great success, but not everything I've done has turned out. And within the clinic, not everything I did turned out, but that's okay. That's part of it. There is no success without failure. I mean, you know that. I do. Yeah, you sure do. I'm sure you've had TV shows and movies that were more successful than others. Mm-hmm. And the, the failures teach us a lot. Then they help us. We need them. But again, it's like the victim discussion. We need both. Mm-hmm. We need to be a victim not to be a victim. We need to fail to succeed. But to make fear-based decisions is to be safe, but not to move. It's warm bathwater. You know how I feel about warm bathwater, Tracy. Yeah, let's let's actually talk about warm bathwater for a second. What what is that? What is, I've been thinking about that. This is something that she is currently on my case for, and so it's something I've been giving a lot of thought. And I'm not sure I quite get it. Okay. First of all, disclaimer, she actually likes me, even though she said I'm on her case. Um, She's on my case in the best way possible. Okay. She's my therapist. I'm on her case because, um, okay, we have a tendency to want to stay in warm bath water. So this this is a metaphor, of course, that I use. Uh, warm bath water is safe and comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you know, I like warm bath water myself. But we're not moving when we're in warm bath water. So the first time I ever used that expression is when I trained therapists. Is I said to them, if you take, and if you're seeing a therapist and you feel like you're in warm bath water, you may want to consider switching to another therapist because good therapy has been shown through research is supposed to make you mildly uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not a warm bath in Sandra's office. Yeah, it's not. Or, or I'm sure with straight talk. I mean, you are, you are not. Now I get it. You are not a warm bath. No, you I'm not me, sure. I don't me. know if I'm insulted or happy. I can't <laughs> tell. I think I'm well, both. <laughs> you should be. I think you should be flattered because the the bet the most growth I've ever I've ever had was was in our most challenging sessions where you you challenged me to tell the truth and to look in the mirror and that always that isn't always. That, that's not always a pleasant no. discovery when no. you see there. Right, right. So, yeah, you've got it. You exactly got it. So the way I work with my clients and the way I you know, try to get other therapists to work with their clients in terms of therapy is that you, you want, again, to be – you don't want to be in a panic attack state when you're with your therapist, and I wouldn't want you to be in a panic attack state. But if I'm just saying, oh, there, there, Tracy, oh, my God, that sounds awful, there's no growth. 
And I'm really not the therapist for someone who wants that. And I think there is a place for that. But I think real growth, and that's not to say I won't validate and feel for someone, but I think real growth happens when we're mildly uncomfortable. There's a lot of research on that. They call it the stretch zone. So a warm bath is called the comfort zone. And when we're in the comfort zone, we feel really comfortable, but we're not moving. When we're in the panic attack zone, we're so scared that we go running back to the comfort zone. So the ultimate zone is called a stretch zone. You know, mild discomfort, but we're growing much like growing pains as you're growing up. It's mildly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does that make sense with the warm bath water? It is making sense. Okay, good. And And I think what I'm dealing with now, correct me if I'm wrong, is that within my relationship, I make... I make it so comfortable, often at the expense of myself. Yes. And therefore, we are not kind of growing as yes. a couple. Yes, yes, yes. So, so Tracy is really being vulnerable and talking about her own life. And, and so she's bringing up an example from her own life. So just to clarify a little bit, I won't go into too many details. But uh, she's asking me if in her relationships, sometimes Tracy, like many of us, can be so loving to her partner that it becomes a warm bathwater. So it's safe. And too much safety in a relationship, which is where we're going in this talk, can be quite dangerous. I want my partner to feel safe. Safety is very important. But I don't want him to feel so safe that there's no growth because no growth is the beginning of the end. So sometimes we have to have a conflict, for example, in my relationship or in yours where, and, and that's very uncomfortable. I don't like conflict at all. It's very uncomfortable. But growth comes from conflict. And for the women listening, because women are really often conflict avoiders, and many people, even men too, conflict, although not fun, is part of growth. Mm. and it's not warm bath water warm bath water is a pass the salt dear you know it's all good we right. have no fights right whereas yeah. deep down inside maybe you there's a number it. of things that i want to talk about but i don't want to make them uncomfortable so i keep it inside and you end up paying for it because you're I quite do. angry and then, i do and that energy is also going in your body and then a little passive aggressive comment might come out and this is also one of the number one mistakes i find couples make is they try to protect each other mm. which is a warm bath water and it's understandable because we love our partners but you know again protecting our partners i mean you have to choose your timing but protecting our partners doesn't do either of us any favor so you don't have to be mean about it. So I'm not a mean person. And even when I make clients uncomfortable, it's always prefaced with I love you or something kind. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be as kind as possible. But to push ourselves, I also push myself to not stay too long in that warm bath water. You know, you get pruny skin after a while. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a perfect segue into the next stuff I want to talk about, which is romantic relationships and love and and all of that very confusing and amazing stuff. Um, shall we jump right in? Sure. Okay. So we just previously talked about fear. And I think, you know, one thing that many people have a lot of fear about is love. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it comes with a giant risk of maybe having your heart broken. I am very curious to know what your definition is of love. Mm. Oh, I don't know exactly what my definition of love is. I I did right away what popped in my head as you were talking is the concept that uh, why it's so fearful is, and that's why the expression is we fall in love. So it's, it's an incredible fall, which is like you're literally falling off a cliff. So it's quite scary. I think that healthy love is that you love yourself and now you found someone who you love on 
on top of loving yourself. So there's a, a he, a she, or maybe two he's and maybe two she's. That's fine, uh, obviously. Um, and there's a he, a she for the purposes of this discussion. I'll use that. And there's a you and there's a me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of a love, a healthy love that interests me. So romantic love is very exciting, especially the first stage of romantic love. Incredibly exciting. And there's lots of biological reasons that happens. But there's a lot more to it than that romantic connection that we first feel. And I guess getting older is helps me to understand it on, on a deeper level. And I think that sometimes what we're seeking for when we talk about falling in love is quite different than what we really want. Mm. You know, so it's you have to really be clear on what are you looking for? You know, if you're looking for that rush of excitement, okay, great. But then what? Mm. Then what? And I think you have to be true to yourself and you have to know um, your value systems. And Tracy, I know that we did an exercise years ago about uh, what do you look for in a partner and how many of you people listening um, have even asked yourself, you know, what do you want in your partner? What are your key things? Because you can't have everything. So you mm-hmm. have to decide what are the key things. So then if you can have that and the person, that's another definition I would add to that is if the person, yeah, you don't want to, um, you want to nurture that person and that person to nurture you and you embrace their differences because they are going to be very different than you. That's part of the process. You know that from the couple retreats Mm -hmm. that's, they're supposed to be different. That's when all the trouble starts. You find out they're (laughs) not you. Right. Right. Because we secretly want them to be exactly like us. Well, it'd make it so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't really want to fall in love with ourselves. It'd be easier, but boring. Okay. So that is a really great summary of healthy love. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What about, what about giving us a really quick summary of unhealthy love? Okay. Well, um, you complete me. You completely, I am broken and you're going to unbreak me. So at first this starts very good. It's a very sexy kind of love. Um, because the person comes along and you feel like you became whole again. Mm. Um, but the problem is that eventually that person can't sustain holding you up and then everything's comes crashing down. And this is a very big problem. There's a lot to say on this and I'm going to ask, um, everybody to think about whether they're looking for someone to complete them or is that too risky? And do you want to complete yourself? We'll be right back with straight talk with Sandra Rich. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Change your life forever with the latest cutting-edge products for home study treatment for anxiety, featuring the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression and host of Straight Talk, Sandra Reich. Sandra is joined by top therapist Georgia Dow in this revolutionary anxiety videos therapy series. Thousands of people have benefited from this scientifically proven treatment approach. Isn't it time you chose yourself? Visit anxiety-videos.com right now. That's anxiety-videos.com and change your life forever. Spa Munari is a full-service wellness day spa located at the heart of West Island, Quebec. Submerge yourself in beauty with one of our many treatments, specially catered to your needs. 
We offer facials, manicures, pedicures, hair removal, massages, body treatments, and so much more. Enjoy our ultimate relaxation experience with our spa packages. We offer a men's menu as well. Call us today to book your next appointment at 514-695-5040 or visit us on the web at spamunari.com. That's 514-695-5040 or spamunari.com. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. To connect with the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at helpforanxietydepression.com. Now, back to Straight Talk. Here's Sandra Reich. We're back with Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. We were talking about You Complete Me, Tracy, that famous Tom Cruise movie. It was such a great scene. I personally, I don't know about you, uh, when I watched I was young enough to definitely think that was the definition of romantic love. I thought that was with, he was with Renee Zellweger. I don't mm-hmm. know. And I thought this was incredibly romantic and I grew up with the songs of uh, I can't live if living with is without you and it seemed to me that this was this tragedy of romantic love was absolutely fabulous and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you and I don't think you know this but around my 30s I realized that um, the tragedy of love is that the most romantic by that definition of all loves is the love that doesn't work mm-hmm. and I got really like I don't not clinically depressed but I got down because it seemed to me that to actually share your life with someone and love someone in a healthy way is just not as sexy and romantic. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. Right. I, it's I don't not filled un- with all the drama. Exactly. Well said. And you're not completing me. So I'm okay. I, I prefer to be with you, but I'm okay without you, which is not you complete me at all. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Not as doesn't make for great movies. <laughs> or great songs. No. But makes for a really healthy relationship. And I've really lived on both sides because, oh, my God, I was, like, romantic fantasy girl, like, par excellence. I mean, I really believed in it. I suffered enormously. And I actually was with the same guy when I believed in it that I am with now, my husband. And uh, it was it was a mess. It was really, like, you know, he was completing me, supposedly. And it was just, like, he had the power to lift me up or destroy me. I mean, right. you cannot give your power like that to someone. And many people come in and say, how could someone treat me so poorly? Well, how was the door open for them to treat you so badly? I had to learn that one the hard way. And many people do. Are we now creeping into what is called codependency we are wonderful because that is the next thing on my list okay perfect perfect i'm ready all right so well i i think i think we've been talking about codependency but um just just for all the listeners out there do you are you able to sort of bottom line it as a concept well, codependency is a clinical word, and really, I like to use the word caretaking uh, because I think uh, codependent word came out of an alcoholic movement where people enabled alcoholics, um, and I did not experience any alcoholism in my life at all. In my family of origin, uh, or, you know, I didn't have any observation of that, but yet I feel I was raised to be a caretaker. I mean, it worked out well for my career, but it certainly did not work out well when I was applying it to my personal life. So women are often socialized. We're told to take care of other people, to be considerate of them, um, and to um, look out 
for other people. So what happens is we start to put ourselves at the bottom of the list and we caretake others. Now, it's not only women, to be fair. I certainly know and have worked with many men who are caretakers. And the problem is that the secret wish, Tracy, what is the secret wish of a caretaker? She knows. To Do you be remember? taken care of. That's right. But the, so we're going to repeat that. The secret wish of a caretaker is to be taken care of. However, taking care of others did not in any way lend itself to someone taking care of you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why? Why? Why not? Well, why should they take care of you? Right. You're, you're, you're busy taking you're so care busy, of them. You're so busy taking care of them. Taking yeah. Taking care of them. What do, what do you need? Yeah. And you don't seem like you need anything. Because you you seem to be busy taking care of me, so I guess you're okay. So it doesn't work. Well, we also I I, I recall we also we also magically want people to 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 know what we want and give it to us rather than actually asking for what we need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it wouldn't be sincere then if if we had to ask for it. Right. It would be really loving if they would just do it, much like caretakers do for others, is we read their minds to see what do they really need and I will do it. Right. But that does bring up the fact that caretaking is not as nice as it sounds. Mm. It's still a very selfish concept, okay? So we're going to magically read their minds, as to quote you, and give them what they want, which is controlling, which is a synonym for caretaking. Which is also often not what they want at all. So exactly. they actually, they actually often it. get mad yeah. about it. Yeah. I, I don't very much like when someone starts to caretake me. It actually, I probably see a bit of myself in it. And also, it does feel very controlling to me. And I feel like, you don't know what I want. Why don't you ask what I want instead yeah. of doing it for me? And so we try to read their minds. But why do we do that? We're trying to control the situation. And we're also trying to get... Like to feel better about ourselves, people who are massive caretakers have poor self-esteem, and that's their way of feeling important. Now, you know, caretakers are not born, they're made. And so they grow up in families where they're encouraged to take care of others. And that's a tragedy, mm. is you're not, children are not supposed to be taught to take care of others. It's a very sad thing. So I know in my family of origin, I was often told, like, wow, it's so wonderful, the insights you have and how you're able to help everyone in the family. Like, in other words, keep going. Right. Yeah, not good. Not good. It took me years to realize that, but not good. Worked out well for the job. Not so good outside <laughs> right. of the job. <laughs> yeah, but I had to change it. So I don't do it anymore. So what do we, what do, we do about this if we find ourselves in relationships where... Or when we find ourselves in life being a caretaker with our romantic relationships, with our family, with our friends. I mean, I was a master at it. Well, we have to, we talk about these concepts of the secret wish of a caretaker is to be taken care of. So then what we do is we start but with, instead of focusing on what the other person needs, the part of the healing is to focus on what you need. And most caretakers who have it really bad don't even know what they need. I mean, it took me years to know what I needed. And I think it took you years to know yes. what you needed. So you have to first, you have, if you're listening and you're wondering, then you know you probably know what your partner needs and you probably think you know what everybody needs. But the question is, do you know what you need? Could you write down right now what you need? What do you need? And are you getting what you need? So caretaking, is a, it's a distraction because you're probably not getting what you need. So if you're busy caretaking, you're not looking at the fact that you're not getting it. And that's, again, warm bathwater because you have to look at what you're not getting and you might have to have a confrontation, a sit down and say, hey, I need more attention from you or I need you to take care of the baby for an hour or whatever it may be. And the person who's used to you taking care of them might turn around and say, well, too bad. And then you have a problem. 
that you then need to make a decision about. Yes, but again, the decision doesn't have to be made always right away because you've spoiled someone. Caretakers attract narcissists. And the reason they attract narcissists is narcissists like people to take care of them. So it's we have to be very careful. It's a dense. So you can't be mad at someone when at first they're saying, well, too bad, I'm not going to change, because you've trained them to be that way. We do teach people how to treat us. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder, Sandra, if I can ask you just a, a small personal question, since you did share that you began a relationship as a caretaker, yeah. and you were able to transform it into a healthy relationship. Yes. And you are still with this person. Mm-hmm. So that that must have been like a dramatic amount of work on both your parts. How 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 did that happen? How did you make that happen? Well, it's interesting. It's a really good question because there's many ways to make it happen. But the truth, what I, what I want to pick up in that question is that a lot of people feel that the two people have to make it happen. And that although that's true, when one changes the dance, the other one has no choice. Either the dance gets changed or the relationship breaks. So, I mean, I am a therapist, so I had a lot of that knowledge. So I became very interested in the topic. And I was, you know, I think at that point I was studying to be a therapist. I was reading a lot of books on this topic and I started to change dance. And my partner was none too happy. I mean, we didn't talk about it. We didn't use this kind of language, but there was definitely resistance. Uh, But I stayed consistent and I, you know, I stopped caretaking. That was step one. And I started getting in touch with what my needs are. Now, I hadn't been in touch with my needs since childhood because no one really ever, they weren't developed because parents are supposed to be modeling to their kids, as we talked about last week, to take care of their own needs. But my my mom was also a caretaker, so um, she would go down. I mean, it's a famous story. My mother, would, my father never even had to open the garage door. She would make sure that the garage, yeah, Tracy's freaking. <laughs> yeah, she would make sure that he never had to open the garage door. Wow, nice life. Yeah, right. So so to me, this was normal to put myself completely lost. So um, to answer your question, first, a lot of the work was within myself. I read a lot of books. I've always been a voracious reader. And then it was a question of changing the dance. And uh, my partner, although resistant, was um, in love with me, which helps a lot. You do need love. And um, I guess he started to adjust. And that's what's so cool about it is it doesn't have to be that hard. If you change the dance, your partner will change the dance. Yes, you can get professional help and you can get a coach or whatever you need. But you don't absolutely have to. You just need to change the dance and your partner will change. And if your partner is not willing to change, he's only in it or she's only in it to exploit and be given your caretaking gifts. I mean, you have to look at why you would want to be in that relationship, no matter how in love you think you are because what are you in love with that's definitely not the definition of love i guess when you first asked me i probably the word reciprocity should have come up there needs to be reciprocity in a romantic relationship it's not unconditional it's not parenting okay a lot of people think it's unconditional and that's when we wrote the book uh once upon a time how cinderella became a happy and empowered woman which uh you know well about because it was a lot of the work we did together is that romantic relationships are not unconditional. They are based on reciprocity. And if mm-hmm. they're not, there's a problem. You know what I take from that. I, I, again, it's, it's, it's really hopeful because if, if any of our, any of our listeners happen to find themselves or are recognizing themselves in what we're talking about, uh, it doesn't mean that the relationship needs to end necessarily. Like there is hope, there is hope for change. Um, and it, it, Like one of my questions is how do you recognize whether you're in a dysfunctional relationship or a healthy one? But even if you should find yourself in a dysfunctional one, it doesn't 
doesn't mean it's going to stay there, is oh. what you're saying. We're making yeah, it easier exactly. to Great listen summary. to the Voice America exactly Talk Radio Network that's live wherever you go so on iPhone, and when I work with couples, Android. I often don't Download think it's hopeless, and I would even go so far to say is that, and I often say this, you've got to earn your way out of the relationship, and I remember saying that to myself, is that if I change the dance and it doesn't change, well then I can leave. But if I haven't changed my part of it, I'm going to bring it to my next relationship. Pay close attention to that, because if you haven't looked at your part, and yes, you always have a like that. that can radically you change your love life. Even if you're the victim in a relationship, life changing. Regain that loving feeling. Bring us. your intimacy until you learn what your part is. You will bring it to your next relationship. So you'll meet someone who find smells different, looks different, for um, seems different. It will start off great, and you'll find yourself at the exact same place. And you'll be like, oh my god, how did I get here? It's a little shocking. We're going to have to take a short break. So think about the fact that everywhere you go, there you are, as the famous book says, and we'll be right back with change your life forever with the latest cutting edge products for home study treatment for anxiety featuring the clinical director of the montreal center for anxiety and depression and host of straight talk sandra reish sandra is joined by top therapist georgia dow in this revolutionary anxiety videos therapy series thousands of people have benefited from this scientifically proven treatment approach isn't it time you chose yourself visit anxiety-videos.com right now That's anxiety-videos.com and change your life forever. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. To connect with the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at helpforanxietydepression.com. Now, back to Straight Talk. Here's Sandra Reich. We are back with Straight Talk with Sandra Reich with Tracy Deer, Canada's treasure, interviewing me, myself, and I. And she's telling me on the break that even discussing these things is bringing up things for her in her process. So I'm so curious what that means. Let's see where you take us, Tracy. Okay, well, we're not going to jump into my process just yet, but okay. we do have a session together right after this recording. Yeah, well, that's good. So you, we'll this is like the that. pre-session then, exactly. I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's definitely food for thought. It's food for thought and even me talking about it. It's a good reminder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so codependency, you know, I, I, I'm a massive recovering codependent as well. And I remember one of the main things you taught as a recovery strategy was this concept of boundaries, which I had none of, and I had no idea what it meant. So can you, can you tell us what is a boundary? Okay. Well, again, a great question and a very important question for a caretaker because caretakers don't have boundaries. So a boundary is a limit. It's where do you draw the line? So in a relationship, where do you draw the line? So is, you know, a radical example would be like, I will stay in a relationship unless my partner hits me. So that's a line. So most people have that line. But a lot of people don't have any other lines other than that. Like, okay, a hit or cheating, that's their line. But what about if someone talks to you disrespectfully? What if someone doesn't listen to you? Are you clear on those being unacceptable for you? And everyone's different. So I have boundaries in my relationship that might sound idiotic to you, that are not things that you can't do to me, I'm not okay with. So... 
and if I put my therapist hat on, one of the ones that I think in all relationships there has to be a boundary with is respect. Uh, Respect, as I often say, is not negotiable. You cannot talk to each other with disrespect and hope that your relationship is going to stay okay. You can be upset with each other. But there's a big difference between being upset and being disrespectful. Well, I believe one of the things you always say is love without respect will die. What a great quote. What a great quote. It's right from the book. You have it exactly right. You have it exactly right. Love without respect will die. And why is that? Because uh, as the respect starts to go, you start to be resentful of each other. Resentfulness destroys love because you're seething instead of loving well, that is the next thing I want to talk about is this concept of resentment. Mm, the resentment flu, as John Gray says, fantastic stuff. Um, well, resentment is that anger that has, again, conflicts that weren't dealt with. You know, conflicts are not fun, but if they're effectively dealt with, then you can put them behind you and you can move forward. Uh, if you push them down and you say, you know, I don't want to fight. Like we're going, I used to do this all the time. Like we're going up north. I remember like I always use that example because there was a real example. We're going up north. I don't want to have a fight. I want to have a nice day with him. And what happens is that that anger gets pushed in your body. And maybe you'd have a nice day. Most likely you won't because you're sitting there resenting. Um, but even if you got through the day, the next time you get triggered the same way, it comes up double which is why avoiding conflict really doesn't work. So, and why does conflict happen? Conflict happens when a boundary has been violated. So if we go full circle here, we need a boundary to, and we feel boundaries in our stomach. Have you ever felt that feeling like you just got punched? Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a situation yesterday where I, um, I was speaking to someone uh, again concerning my daughter's at camp and there was a situation and the man who was speaking to me was speaking to me in a disrespectful way. And it like, I really literally felt someone was punching me in the stomach. It was just not feeling okay for me. And so, you know, I spoke up about my boundary. Now it didn't work by the way. The boundaries don't always work. And I think it's important that we get that out there, but that doesn't mean that me speaking up for my boundary doesn't help me a lot because it tells me that I see myself as important. He may not see me as important and clearly didn't. (laughs) Um, But there's a consequence for that. There's a consequence. And, you know, I'm not going to go into that. It doesn't really matter at this time. But um, certainly it's not a relationship that I would be pursuing or considering because that's just not going to work for me. Right. So, But the feeling I want you to pay attention to within your body and your relationship and anyone listening is that you all have boundaries. You just don't always pay attention to them. It's a feeling like someone punched you. Someone punched you and you feel like uh, like a little bit of a, a nervous vibe in your stomach. That means someone crossed a boundary of yours. But then our brain kicks in and says, I'm being too sensitive. Um, it's, it's not, not a, that big deal. It's, it's not, not a big, big deal. deal. Yeah. Well, that's where you have to be careful because it's your big deal. So someone else, of course, can say it's not a big deal. But we all have our things, our idiosyncrasies of things that trigger us. It doesn't mean that I'm right about what happened yesterday. It doesn't mean I'm right about any boundary. It's my boundary. That's what it means, you know, and that's important to me, and I have to be true to me. Now, is it true if you let a few things kind of go, and, you know, as you said, the anger, is, it starts to build, or the resentment, this, the, it's pushed down, it's somewhere inside. Does it then lead to becoming even almost more hyper aware of other things yeah yeah it's such a great question it's almost like you want to just keep reminding yourself what a jerk or what a you know what your partner is whatever word you want to use because you're already seething so we're in martyrdom now we're now like my god like I can't believe how he or she acts so then yes you look for evidence to keep showing yourself 
how right you are. And like you're in, that's why it's the beginning of the end. It's, I mean, it happens like you, that's why like it's a negative cycle. Couples go through this all the time. And, and so do I, uh, but you got to get yourself out of the negative cycle, which comes back to gratitude and abundance. Like I've done that sometimes when I'm really starting to feel resentful. Um, of course, to have a sit down with my husband and say like, I'm starting to feel resentful because you know, this is not a true example with my husband. He's wonderful with childcare, but uh, i I don't feel you're contributing enough to childcare, let's say. So you have a talk. But the other thing is the resentment's still kind of there, and it's your fault because you haven't been speaking up. So what I would often do is write down a list of things that I'm very grateful for in my partner to, again, try to change that brain chemistry. Because resentment doesn't only hurt your relationship. It also hurts your body physically. And it's, that's how disease gets formed. There's a lot of research on that. And I don't want to get sick. And how do we know if we're resentful? Oh, you feel How do we identify it? You know, let me ask you. Yes. Have you seen your face when you're resentful? Have you, have you, do you know what the face of resentment looks like? Have you seen resentful people, what they look like? Because they all look very bitter. The reason I ask this, this question in particular is because, you know, I'm, I'm, my partner and I, we've just had sort of a big breakthrough on the fact that we had some resentment building on either end. But until we were in that office with you together... And you were able to kind of call it out and we were then able to speak our truth and and then we completely relaxed. It was only then that I was able to say, Oh, I was that was resentment. Yeah. But in at the at the time I it's not like I was able to go, I'm starting to feel resentful. I better speak to him about something. It was just it was like its own force. So how how can we identify that we are now, res- like, we are feeling resentment? Well, I mean, Tracy, you were completely shut down towards him, that you guys were barely looking at each other. Uh, obviously, there wasn't a lot of passion. These are symptoms, okay? Like, this is going to immediately affect your intimacy. I mean, people who have resentment don't have good sex lives. Um, they're not into each other, and they make little sarcastic, defensive comments towards each other. Those are signs that you're fully in the resentment flu, and you've got to get yourself out. And step one is definitely to have a conversation and to own it. I'm feeling resentful and here's why. And part of owning it is to say, I should have spoken up sooner because again, um, it's not on your partner to figure it out. It's on you to speak about it. Right. Tracy, it's unbelievable. But no. we are, yeah, I know. No, it cannot be. It can be. Um, so I'm getting towards the end. I can't believe it. <laughs> Obviously we're going to have to set a part three to this. Do you agree? Yes. Okay. We are not done. I know you had a list full of questions. Um, this has been uh, really a fascinating um, journey to do with you to talk about these big, to- big topics, and you you have such great questions, and I think people probably have questions to your questions. So we'll definitely set a date. We'll have people write in with their questions, and we'll continue. So you know where to reach Tracy. Um, thank you, Tracy. And to reach me, if you have any questions, it's info at helpforanxietydepression.com or 514 777 Four five three zero. We've got a few things coming up. Tracy's learned a lot of this stuff at women's retreats. We've got a women's retreat coming up in February. If you're interested, that talks about these things. Yes. I will be there. Tracy will be there. I will be there too. <laughs> and we have a couple retreat, a mini couple retreat here in Montreal. We also have our Mexico couple retreat coming. I'll up. be at both of those. She's too. gonna be there. She's amazing, <laughs> and she's changed her life. I mean, you know, and maybe that is the last word. Is how much has all of this changed your life? I'll give you the last word, and then we'll take it out. I am a completely different person, and I am happy and fulfilled. I started the. T- I started last week like this. I mean, I, 
I am living a completely different life and, and I love it. Well, and I have you to thank for it. So thank you, Sandra. Oh my God. I love hearing that. I don't, I feel very undeserving, but I feel very grateful that uh, you and I've had the relationship we have and the work you've done is so inspirational and keeps me on my toes. No warm bath, warm bath water for us. (laughs) Um, This is straight talk with Sandra Reich. And on behalf of Tracy and myself, Keep your eyes on your stars because anything's possible. Isn't that right, Tracy? That is absolutely right. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. We hope you've enjoyed today's show and we'll tune in again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now, go live your best life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.